Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Katie Metzler. I am a third year medical student at RBUCOM Colorado, and I'm so excited for today's episode of DO.FM Student Edition. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Harpreet Sui, who will be talking to us about her path to direct primary care as a board-certified internal medicine physician, as well as her role on social media as a physician. Dr. Sui graduated Turo University, California in 2008, and then completed her internal medicine residency at Valley Hospital Medical Center in Las Vegas. As an internal medicine physician, she has worked in private practices, hospital-owned multi-specialty clinics, and concierge medicine until she opened up her own direct primary care practice in August of 2022. She is also certified in obesity medicine and is currently a clinical associate professor of internal medicine at Tucum, Nevada. Welcome, and thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us, Dr. Sui. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so to start, would you walk us through your educational path and how you ended up at internal medicine residency? Yeah, so I grew up, like many of us, with a primary care doctor who had been my doctor since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So my first, second, and third doctors were all DOs. I grew up in Orlando, Florida. So huge DO population out there. And all of my doctors were people who had known me my whole life. And I really loved the idea of outpatient medicine. So as I went into medical school, I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. I think most of us feel like that. We're like, we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll do this. And my third year of um, rotations, I had a chance to do IM before I did um, any of the other primary care subspecialties. And I just fell in love. I love, fell in love with the complexity of the patients, the rounding of the patients, the, I felt like internal medicine is very much a mystery. Like someone comes in with some symptoms and you have to like solve the mystery and order the tests and figure it out. And I loved all of it. And I really just dove right in. So about halfway through third year, I knew that I wanted to do IM. I had a passion for endocrinology. I really um, have a passion for uh, diabetes and treating diabetes and preventing diabetes. And so um, when I was in residency, I initially thought I would just do endocrinology or a hospitalist, but halfway through residency, so halfway through second year, I remember standing in the ER and turning around and being like, nope, this is not the place for me because every <laughs> patient that would leave me, I'd say, are you sure you have an appointment with your doctor? Do you need me to call the doctor? Do you need a list of your medications? What do you need? And I, that is the point where I really fell in love with the clinic side of medicine. And then I realized I could still do a little bit of endocrine, cardiology, like all the subspecialties, rheumatology in primary care. And then I took that route and got to spend a lot of my third year in the clinic, which was really great because I am residencies seemed to get back then a lot less clinic time than FM residency. So I got to do a lot of stuff in clinic and really kind of hone my skills and then fall in love with it even more. So by the time I graduated residency, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Did you go straight into a primary care role after residency? I did. So I joined a private practice, a, a fairly large private practice right out of residency. Um, and so that was my first job and I was there for a few years and I really learned how to see a high volume of patients, um, how insurances work, you know, the good parts of medicine and the not so good parts of, uh, primary care medicine. And I got burnt out of that first job fairly quickly. And then, so what, what came after that job? So I actually had our first child during, uh, that job. So I quit my job. 
And um, it was really not a great environment. The environment was quite toxic. And so I needed to get out. So I quit my job. I stayed at home for six months. My husband is a critical care, home critical care physician. And about four months into it, he said, you need to get a job. Because all you do is just get angry when I walk through the door. And I was like, uh-huh, yeah, I need a job. So then a hospital in town was hiring for their clinics. And I had a connection because this is where I did residency also. So I reached out to them and they you know, were really great. I said, I only want to work part-time. I have a child. I have a husband that works very long hours. And they were really great about taking me on and kind of like letting me build what I wanted to build. So I was there for about five and a half years till the pandemic happened. And I think the pandemic threw everybody for a loop and really made many of us in primary care kind of second guess and question what we were doing. And then during the pandemic is when I left that job and joined a concierge medical practice. And that's where I started to learn about the intricacies of direct primary care. And that's how it led me down to opening up that practice of mine in August of 2022. I love that. I'm so excited to delve into direct primary care. But back to your residency, you had mentioned that you met your husband in residency. I met my husband in medical school, actually. I was um, not planning on dating a doctor that was not in my cards. <laughs> um, and we joked that we fell in love in anatomy lab. He just had really great dissecting skills. And uh, <laughs> I would just go over and try to flirt with him instead of staying in my section. And so we had a friendship first and it really developed into a relationship um, as our friendship grew. And so when we did residency, we trained in residency together. Were you together before residency? Yes. Okay. So how was it in residency with your partner? It was actually really fun. Residency is really tough, regardless of if you did it back before the new rules or if you're in residency now or if you're a fourth year who's starting residency in July. Residency is a lot of work, but it is a lot of fun. And so the relationships that I made with the friends that we have now, all those years out, these people are still the closest people. They were in our wedding. We, you know, we know each other's kids. Like it's really tight knit. So for me, having my husband there when things got really, really hard or to encourage me when things, when I didn't think I could do it, um, I loved giving morning report and he'd be sitting there like kind of encouraging Aww. me being like, yeah, that answer is perfect. It was really great to do <laughs> residency with him because I just felt like I had my landing spot. And we both kind of understood because we were in the same program. We understood if somebody was really exhausted or what was going on. Um, I will say as an aside, our third year, we were allowed to do a team together. So we were the third year residents. We had our second years, we had our intern, we had our med students. And it was probably the funniest month of my entire training because we were so different. We are literally two different people. I'm outpatient. He is critical care. He's fast paced. I'm slow down. And for us to work together on a team, our attendings could not get over it. They were like, nope, you two should never work together because you are two separate <laughs> people. But it was really fun. I'm so thankful I got to do those three years with him. That's so funny. It's like a, a Grey's Anatomy love story. Yep. Um, so ba back to direct primary care. So I know it's a little bit of a new thing and a lot of medical students don't know what direct primary care is. Would you mind enlightening us on direct primary care and everything it entails? 
Yeah. So direct primary care is I actually tell patients when they call and ask what it is, I say it's medicine the way it should be. So it's really medicine mm -hmm. without the insurance burden. The patients pay a cash price. It's usually cheaper than most concierge practices. We do not bill insurance. And then we are allow patients to come in for multiple appointments. A lot of us have very flexible schedules. We do weekends, we do nights, um, we do same day. You know, it's very much that like, hey doc, I woke up this morning with a sore throat, can I come in? In a traditional practice, the receptionist would answer the phone and say, it'll be three months before you can see her or you can see a mid-level today. In my practice, patient calls, I pick up the phone and I say, yeah, I've got an opening at 1130. You think you can swing on by? Um, and so it gives you like that kind of the way that you just want primary care to be. And it's really fulfilling for the patient, but it's beyond fulfilling for the doctor because we feel like we get to do all the things we wanted to do since we were young. We get to manifest the dreams we had in medical school and residency and not have all that red tape bureaucracy that we have to cut through um, to be able to provide care for our patients and we provide better care for them. So it's really great for your complex patients. It's really great for um, those who do see children, you know, kids get sick all the time and you can never get in to see um, a traditional pediatrician. So it's great for that. Uh, a lot of us will do like stitches and little things in the office. And so it's it's great for all of that. So it's really medicine the way that like it should be, the way we want it to be, I guess I should phrase it. <laughs> So I know a lot of people have hesitancies towards primary care because of the like administrative burden. Do you feel like you get that a lot in DPC? I would say my administrative burden has been cut by like 85%. My happiness wow. is up 100%. I mean, Katie, I was about to walk away from medicine altogether in 2020, in 2021. I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep up with all of this. I don't know why I chose this career. I love helping people, but I can't do it in the way that I want to. Um, and I was really, really burned out. And DPC has allowed me to like find joy again. So I'm happier. I don't have to deal with insurance burden. Now, it's not that you don't have to deal with any of it. Obviously, like someone needs a prior authorization on a medicine. So I had to do an appeal earlier today on the phone. So you block out that time. But you also don't have three patients waiting for you while you're trying to do that at the same time with an MA knocking on the door saying you're already running late. It's I'm making my own schedule and I get to choose how many people I get to see in a day and what I take care of. And so a lot of that red tape is just cut, which makes it um, better for the patient and makes it way better for those of us in primary care. That's amazing. Did you ever anticipate yourself owning a business when you were in medical school? Never, never. <laughs> owning a business was one of those things I thought of when I was like a teenager, right? When I was an undergrad, like, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to own a business. It's going to be great. Um, and then when I got into medical school, it was like, okay, you know, you just have to make it through four years of medical school. And then no point in time does anyone sit down with you and say, let's talk about the different ways you can practice in every field. So what I really learned about primary care outpatient of my own practice was actually just through my different jobs. Um, and, and that was really kind of surprising. And I feel like that's why now every med student that comes through my office on a rotation, I talk about what it's like to start a practice, how you can do it out of residency, how you can do it a decade after, um, the ways that you can do it, but it's not something that you can't do. It's just that nobody knows how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't, I think the first time I ever, ever heard about direct primary care was like two years ago. Um, and now it's built 
I mean, it's gotten a lot of traction, but I didn't even know that was a possibility. And I don't think a lot of people know that. So it's just amazing. I don't think a lot, a lot of patients know that either. No, do you typically have, no, do you have satisfied patients? Like, do they stay and love it? Yeah, I'm lucky That's that amazing. my a lot of patients have followed me from previous practices. And a lot of the patients that were in the concierge job I was in prior to this followed me here. But the new patients that have joined absolutely love it. And they send their neighbors and they send their friends and their church friends and their women's groups and their golf club people. And so you end up getting a lot of people from word of mouth just because, as we know, there's a nationwide shortage of primary care doctors. Um, and so we have to, like, feed the need where we can. And when people see that they can get what they need in a timely fashion when they actually need it. It's it, it opens their eyes too. And I think it spreads the message of DPC because like you, I actually didn't know much about DPC before 2021. It was a relatively new concept to me. And I had already been working, you know, for a decade at that time. Wow. Um, what is your like payment structure for you? Do your, um, patients pay you like a monthly fee and they get you as often as they want to get as many appointments as they want. And then how do you balance that with insurance? Yeah. So actually we do a monthly fee and patients can see me as many times as they want. Uh, the first month they usually utilize you a lot because they're paying the money and they want to see. And then after a couple of months, it's like, you're calling them to be like, Hey, Hey, remember me, the girl that you pay every month? <laughs> like you want to come in and, and talk about your cholesterol? Cause that would be cool. Um, and I don't do any contracts. Like it's very like, Kim. I understand Las Vegas is an interesting town. There's a lot of transient people that come in for a year or two and then they move. Um, and so that's kind of understandable. So I don't lock anybody into a contract. I feel like if, um, somebody wants to stay because they're getting quality care, then though they're going to want to stay because of that. Um, and so it's just, yeah, it's a monthly fee and, it gets them everything. I do blood work in the office, EKGs, injections, all your visits, annual physicals. Um, I don't charge extra for referrals. You know, where insurance gets you is going to be the outside sources. So going to an outside lab, going to an outside imaging center, going to see a provider that does not have a cash pay practice, which a lot of specialists don't. But the other thing about IM, and I think primary care is a lot of us have gotten so good at managing patients that I try not to send somebody out to a specialist unless I have to, or unless they're requesting it. When I was in residency, our attending said, you never consult a specialist unless you've done all the work and explain to the specialist why you need them to go there, because you always want to show them that you already have done everything and your knowledge base is high. So I have taken that into practice. Um, and so I try to do everything I can for them while they're in the office. And like, we don't have a lot of rheumatologists in town. And they're all booked out for like a year. So I do a lot of rheumatology because I feel very comfortable doing it. And so all of those things they get just with their monthly membership fee. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's like as a patient and a future physician, that's, I just don't understand how you can do anything, but <laughs> it's like, funny. That's, that's surprised. Yeah. I have a lot of residents, a doctors, I've got a few med students, like people that are my patients that are in this, in our same field, because they're like, that's the only time I had a, a patient. Um, sorry, I had a, a doctor patient call me and say, I can only come in on this day. And it's a day I'm normally not in the office. And I said, yeah, that's fine. I'll meet you there whatever time you can get there. And they were like, wait, what? And I'm like, uh-huh. That's, this is the future <laughs> of medicine. This is the future. This is how you prevent burnout in primary care. 
I mean, that's amazing. So as an internal medicine trained physician, you had mentioned that you liked solving things. You liked the mysteries. Do you feel like you miss any of that in primary care? There's a lot of mysteries to be solved in primary care. And I would actually venture to say more mysteries in primary care than in the hospital. Because as they come in the hospital, for the most part, they're triaged in the ER. So you already know the story. Like you go down to read the notes, you pull up the labs, you see the imaging, the ER's already done so much. So you have an idea. They come in your office and they say to you, hey, I have this vague abdominal pain. And that's where you start. It's really about like, parsing out what it is. And that's what I try to teach my med students that I, I have med students every single month. And that's the thing that I try them try to get them to understand is a patient's going to come into you. And sometimes it's simple, like, hey, I'm diabetic. I'm on this med. I just need you to refill it and do my labs. But 85 to 90% of the time, it's, hey, I have this weird symptom. Like, hey, I'm tired. And you're like, well, okay, how much time do we have to figure this out? So it's a lot more interesting in the outpatient world because you really are trying to solve a mystery with them. I have never, ever thought of it that, like that. That's, I, it, it's kind of rocked my world just a little bit, but that's so cool to think of primary care as the mystery care. Cause that, as someone who's like interested in internal medicine and family medicine, that's the thing that I really like about internal medicine is yeah. that- that, or at least hospital medicine is being able, being able to fit the pieces together. So it's so cool to think about in primary care, you can do that as well. Oh, you can do the same. And it's even more satisfying, Katie. It's even more satisfying when a patient comes in and you're like, I figured it out. Let me show you. And <laughs> this is my personality. Like the, how I'm talking to you is how I am with my patients. So they mm -hmm. love it because they'll come in and they'll be like, so, and I'm like, are you ready for me to tell you? I feel a little <laughs> bit like Nancy Drew. I'm like, okay, here we go. We're at the end of the chapter. I'm going to tell you everything, right? Um, and it's, it's just, it's so satisfying because remember in internal medicine, you have a high population of 65 and up. So you have really complex mm -hmm. people with like decades worth of history and they've had this surgery and they've gone here and they've lived here and they, you know, it depends on where they've come from. And so it's a lot of getting the records, reading it, kind of getting all the stories straight. And so that I think is the thing that drives me every single day in my practice is different. I've never had two of the same days. I've never had two of the same patients. So it keeps me on my toes. Um, but it just makes it like so fun. That's uh, what a dream. So is it just you and your practice? Do you have staff? No, I do have a virtual medical assistant uh, who I just hired on a few okay. months ago just to answer phone calls and help me with some administrative tasks. But it's really just me. So that's the other thing about direct primary care and why it is easy to do out of residency or even like as a second job after a few years. Um, or even you could moonlight as a hospitalist and also open up your DPC. You don't need anybody. You can very much do it in a small office with by yourself. You just need an EHR, a way to build the patients, and a stethoscope, and you're good to go. Wow. Wow. Is there anything that you wish you would have known before you started your before you pursued DPC? No, I will say this. People will always tell you that it's easy. Very similar to when you finally get into medical school, then people will tell you, oh, you're golden now. You don't, it's fine. You just got to go to class, do your rotations, and you will get a residency program. And then when you're in residency, they go, you're fine. You just got to make it through residency and you're going to get a job. What I wish that somebody would have told me, and actually I will say a lot of my mentors and my female doctor friends did tell me this, um, it's not easy. And so 
what you really want to do is know that you have a handle on the business side of it. And so you have to be willing to learn the business side, just like how you learned medicine. So you go into med school week number two, they're like, let's review biochemistry. And you're like, I kind of sort of think I know that I, I, I know I did that in undergrad. So let's review it again. So you're going to notice that when you are opening your business, you're going to say, well, I've heard of like this kind of business before. I've heard about how to do a referral. I've never done it myself. You just have to be open and willing to learn. But I feel like that's how medicine is, right? You just have to be open and willing to learn. Absolutely. I don't think I could ever, well, business isn't as interesting to me as medicine is. So it's just finding the passion. True. You know what though? But when it's your own business and you get to open the door every day, walk in, know it's yours, close the door every day and know it's Mm -hmm. yours. You develop the passion for the business side of it. I love that. Is there anything that you wish you would have done different when starting out? Yes. I wish that I would have not taken the first job that came around for me. I think a lot of times in residency, we take the first job that comes because we're just excited to get a paycheck and we're drowning in student loan debt. So we're like, we'll just take whatever pays. Um, I think the thing that I, and what I try to tell all my med students and some of the third year residents that I've mentored over the years is shop around, know your worth, know exactly how much you would be willing to work for and don't settle for anything less than that. Obviously don't pick some astronomical number that no one ever gets paid, but like pick a number where you're saying, I'm going to have to do this. Realize that they need you more than you need them. You are a doctor, you've graduated, you have a license, you will always have a job, always. You're never gonna not be able to be in the hospital, out of the hospital, wound care, uh, mobile visits, telemedicine. I mean, the world has really opened up since the pandemic on what you can do. So know your worth, know what you will take and what you won't take. And if you get into a job and you have a bad feeling about it, you can exit whenever you want. No one's going to look at you wrong if you're there for six months, realize that this was not the thing for you and you exit. No one is also going to praise you for staying there for 20 years because our generations are not, you guys are much younger than me, but our generations are not maybe your grandparents and my parents' generation where people stayed in jobs forever and then got a pension and all Mm -hmm. of that. We don't need to do that. And so Again, taking it back to DPC, DPC allowed me to carve out practicing medicine the way that I wanted to so that I didn't walk away. So your very first job offer, if you've got a bad feeling about it or you can think you can get something better, keep going, keep looking, ask ask your co-residents, ask your senior residents, ask your attendings. If, if you're moving to a different city, start finding other doctors in that city and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you know? What do you know? Because we're always willing to teach the younger generations. Um, and that's the thing that I wish somebody would have told me. That Thank you for telling us, because that is something that I haven't thought about before, but it's so important because I probably would be the type to just take the very first job that paid me well. Um, is there any sort of like red flags you think that future budding family physicians or primary care physicians should look out for? Yeah, future primary care physicians, um, I will say if you are told that there's no parental leave or you are given Mm. 
like a funny look as a woman who might be pregnant at the time or wanting to get pregnant. Um, if they ask you, first of all, they can't ask you if you are or are not, right? That That is um, not allowed by law. But if you ask a question about parental leave and they say nothing or they laugh it off, that's a red flag. If you ask about PTO and they give you a wrong answer, that's um, a red flag. If they ask you to order tests that you know you don't need to do, but might just make the practice money and it gives you like goosebumps, right? That's a red flag. If they don't lay out in their offer letter exactly how many hours you have to work to qualify for your salary and any bonus structure, any RVU structure, that's also a red flag. And here's another red flag that people don't talk about enough. If they've gone through a lot of doctors, like Ooh. if a lot of doctors stay for two or three years and leave, and then they just replace doctors with mid-levels, that's a huge red flag because then they don't respect the physicians enough to give them what they want. And you don't want to be there because you're not going to be able to change that company from the inside. Right. That's so, so helpful. Um, to switch gears just a little bit, well, um, in our last little minutes, I wanted to talk about your social media. Um, so if you wouldn't mind sharing your Instagram handle and then also talk a little bit about why you wanted to create an Instagram, um, kind of in like your goals of being a physician on Instagram. Yeah. So, um, my Instagram handle is drharpreet.sui and you can find me there. And I mm -hmm. focus on my Instagram more last fall. So I've always had an Instagram and I didn't really know what to do with it. And then I started realizing like we could really build something here. And then I realized my passion is telling people about healthcare and mentoring med students. Like those are the two things. If somebody said you could work two days a week in your office and spend three days mentoring med students, I'd be like, sign me up. I'm there. I love it. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> and um, I knew that I could reach more people on social media. And so I really just decided to take the leap and film the funny videos and do the little dances and um, see who you reach. And I feel like we have to fight disinformation as physicians. That was another thing that came up a lot during COVID was um, a lot of disinformation. And so we need to make sure that we are telling people what's really happening out there and we can highlight in a way that's digestible and people tend to um, come around or believe us more as physicians. And then I also wanted to make sure I could tell med students and residents like, hey, you can have X, Y, and Z happen in your life and still be um, a really successful doctor, right? You could get like a bad grade in med school and on a test and it will not keep you from getting into residency. And also I'm a wife of a doctor. I have two small children. Like, let me show you what life is also like again, because another thing I always talk about is, tr or try to talk about is like work-life balance, balance and air quotes, because mm -hmm. you can't have that. There's always going to have something that's going to have a bit more. And so like once the social media kind of took off and I started having a lot of fun with it, uh, I just, I just kept going, you know, it just, it really gets fun after a while and you meet a lot of amazing people on social media. And now I have this network of super cool doctors and super cool med students. And um, it's just been really fun to meet people. I don't think I would have met otherwise. Yeah. I, the network is amazing and it's so fun. I, I've been following you for a little bit and I just am loving your videos. Um, you. Lately, I've been loving your educational videos. I think social media is just wrought with misinformation 
And it's so hard for physicians to talk on social media and give medical advice to combat the misinformation just because there's so much more at stake for a physician giving advice. Is there any ways, any specific ways that you navigate that? I never put direct medical advice, right? So if somebody mm-hmm. texts me because I do a weight loss medicine and I've been doing it for a long time, took mm-hmm. the exam in 2020. So if somebody texts me or, or messages me and asks about a specific GLP-1, I often write them back and say, I can't answer that question for you because I can't give medical advice over social media. Where are you located? Sometimes I'll help them find an obesity medicine doc near them, give them some resources. But I, I make it very clear, as you've seen my social media, I'll talk about something, but I'll never talk too in-depth about it. One, because you just lose people. Like once you start talking science, everyone's <laughs> like, scroll, I'm done. Um, and also because I can't give that level of medical advice because medical advice is so personalized. Yes, absolutely. I just watched your video on adrenal fatigue. Yeah. And it's it's so funny that you talk about how it's so specific because anyone can say adrenal fatigue, but no one really understands what that means. No, and no. It takes like and so, so many levels. <laughs> it's really hard to know that you can practice medicine for 16 years and then some influencer who has no science background can say it's, you know, your hormones or your adrenal glands. And you're like, well, no, it's so much more complicated than that. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't have to go to medical school. Right, exactly. It's just funny. So I I love seeing physicians like you on social media trying to combat that in the best that they can. And the best thing we can do is just say, have a good relationship with your primary care physician. And then at, at the same time, having a primary care physician on Instagram shows I think the masses that we're not that scary or we're a lot more approachable than you may think. (laughs) Yes. I have never worn a white coat post post residency because so many people would say that they had like white coat hypertension or a fear of a white coat, or they didn't like to see their doctor. And so I get down to their level, you know, the chair and the stool at their level, I let them just be themselves. And I think showing other people that we are actual human beings with good days and bad days kind of softens us a little bit and like brings it down from the idea that, you know, I'm just a lay person and a doctor's on this echelon that I could never reach. It's like, no, I also have days where I should have probably filled my tank last night and I didn't. And now this morning I barely have enough gas to get to work, probably just like you did. Right. Or I have a backseat that's full of nothing but goldfish and popcorn, just like you do. And it really kind of like humbles the profession um, down to where people will now trust their doctors more. And then I feel like with the trust that that will actually be the thing that stops the disinformation. Absolutely. I think it's a just a beautiful new age of medicine of um, people getting to know their physicians and being comfortable with the physicians. And I do think that DPC has a huge aspect in that where patients are passionate about their health enough to seek out that type of program so they can see their doctor as often as they want to. Um, I think it is a beautiful new part of medicine that we're just kind of on the brink of. So it's so fun to see physicians like you leading the way. Thank you so much. I really hope that we get more DPC doctors, more primary care physicians in the country, and we really make a change for the better for both us as the doctors, but really for our patients. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you.